All right. Well, boy, it is sure a delight for us to be here tonight. I have to say, and maybe you're going to think this is disingenuous and that I say this in every church, but I mean this from the bottom of my heart. This is one of our very favorite churches to come to, has been for many, many years since that very first missions conference that my wife and I came to with a uh, baby, one child, a little baby. And uh, we have so many memories. We have memories of, uh, in fact, I think the very first conference, all the missionaries during a program were called up to the choir loft and had lights and, and turned on when the lights were off in the auditorium, there was a song. My, I don't think it was that song uh, tonight, but it was something along those lines and everybody had little lights turned on and there was this narration. If some of you remember that, that was our first missions conference and we just have such good memories. Uh, I, I remember, um, I think you used to have burgundy carpet, if I remember. Uh, this is beautiful, by the way, but I remember our three older daughters at two, four, and five uh, standing right in front of the pulpit on the burgundy carpet. I remember the burgundy carpet because I have this picture of them all three standing across there singing during uh, the next missions conference that we were here. And uh, we're just so thankful to your church for your faithful support and, uh, and your love for our ministry and for our family. But let me tell you the thing we like the most about your church. Your church is one of the, uh, the best that we have about knowing who your missionaries are like when we walk in the door or walk in, walk onto the campus or drive in in our car, it's like you guys know who we are. And I don't mean that to sound um, like arrogant, like, oh, we want to be known. But it's just that sometimes we go into some churches and they don't have any idea. And when they know who you are, it shows something. It shows that they are praying for you, they're involved, and uh, that, they're, that, that you know, they don't just send out a check and then forget you. And we know that about your church. And of course, uh, the ladies' uh, lift group have been sending letters and, and uh, CDs, music CDs, and little gifts and things for years to my wife. And uh, we just want to say how much we appreciate all of you and your sacrificial giving. Um, it has certainly not gone unnoticed, and it's been a blessing. And of course, that's just talking about our family, but you go beyond that and talk about the many people that have been saved. And tonight you just saw one who is in heaven now. She, she didn't know the Lord a few years ago, but she beat us all there and she's there now. And you had a part in that. And uh, since I made that video, another lady on the video has died since I've been home. And uh, we found that one out just a couple of months ago. Our, uh, our young man uh, who is pastoring right now in my absence has um, kind of been pushed off the deep end, as it were, uh, which I'm actually glad for. I, I'm not glad for the specifics of what has happened since he's been gone, but I am glad. I actually said several months, a couple months before we left, I might have said it in a prayer letter. I said, I think that the next few months are going to be uh, kind of. I uh, forget the term I used, uh, make it or break it or life changing or something for him with regards to his future in the ministry. This is like a moment where he's going to either sink or swim. And I said that just leaving him with just the basic easy stuff of just preach three times a week and visit and, and all that kind of stuff. And then since then, uh, two weeks ago, a lady in our church that's in some of those pictures, her, her house burned down. And that's been something the church has been banding together and trying to help her as brothers and sisters in Christ ought to do and be what they ought to be as the church. And then two months ago, when this woman who is in numerous pictures that were up there, uh, an elderly lady, though, she passed away and we she was in bad health, but we were not expecting it, certainly in, at that time or in the way that it happened. But 
just to tell you what I kind of mean about her getting him being pushed off into the deep end pastorally, I would have been challenged had I been there. And I've been doing this a couple of decades. Um, she passed away in a tuk-tuk, which is a three-wheel taxi. She passed away in that with one of our other church ladies on her way to the doctor. And so she is our lady, our lady who's another one in these pictures, uh, a real great soul winning lady in our church, just a blessing of a lady, again, an elderly lady. And she was with this other lady, her sister in Christ, taking her to the doctor, as she has done in the past a few times. And the lady dies in the tuk-tuk. Well, she can't take her to the doctor now. She can't take her back home because she rents a room and people are very no, no, no about coming back in once, you know, don't, don't bring her back. She's dead. She's, she's gone. They're not real. A lot of them are not real compassionate in, in those types of situations. So she'll take her to the morgue. That's what she feels like is probably the, the next best obvious uh, solution. The morgue in Cambodia is basically the back of a Buddhist temple because that's where they have the crematoriums where they will uh, cremate the bodies. And so she takes her there. We've had numerous, nah, I wouldn't say numerous, we've had a handful anyway of uh, Baptist funerals in Buddhist uh, temples in the back because that's where you have to go to do these services. That's their morgue. And so we've had a few of those and had uh, monks and different people standing off to the side just kind of looking at us trying to figure out what's going on, but uh, close enough to hear what we're saying. We always enjoy that aspect of it. But uh, we tried to take her, or they tried to take her to the, to the morgue or the, the, the wat there, the temple. And uh, they said, well, we can't take her because we don't know if she has COVID or not. Has she had a test, you know, while she was sick? Well, no, she wasn't, we weren't expecting her to die, you know. And they said, well, if she doesn't have a negative COVID test, we can't take her. And so uh, it's a Sunday morning there, Saturday night here. And uh, my, our assistant there, he's, he's texting me, what do I do, pastor? I have a, I have a, Forgive me, this sounds cold, but I have a dead body in a, in a tuk-tuk three-wheeled taxi and we don't have any place to take it. What do we do? So one of our men, another one in the pictures there, he has a car, he brought his car over. They put her body in the car, kept her in the car for the next few hours while they resolved it, had to go and try to find. And he said, can I take her to the church? And I said, of course you can take her to the church. But I said, I would really think that through because if she does have a test given to her, comes back, positive, uh, everyone who's at the church is going to have to be quarantined and that's going to be a mess. And so it was just a mess. And that's why I say he's been pushed into the deep end. But through, through them praying it through and being tenacious and going after it, they, they found a solution. Uh, they got her a test. She was negative. And literally within a few hours, uh, there was a bunch of our church people down at the back of the, at the, the, the temple there having a, having a service, a send-off service for their sister in Christ. And, you know, you need to hear that because every time you give to missions, that's what you're given to. And uh, you need to know that it's not some nebulous concept. It's real, real people. It's real people with real souls who die real deaths and go to a real heaven or a real hell. And I, I just wanted to share that with you. So pray for our church right now. Cambodia and, and all of Southeast Asia really is, is really quite bad right now with um, COVID and Last year, when you all had it bad in the States, we didn't have it bad, but because they wanted to do what all the bigger countries were doing, they closed down the country, even though we hardly had any cases, had zero deaths in a country of 15 million, and yet they still shut everything down for months. We finally got back open again, but it wasn't too long. It was actually late February of this year when they had a, a literal, this time a real explosion of COVID and began to have a lot of deaths. And so, um, 
things have been closed down for quite some time. And so we're doing the best that we can, us while we were there, and now our, our helpers while we're away, trying to just, uh, just do the best we can to keep uh, three services a week online and, and having as, as many small group. In fact, just today I saw, uh, I don't think they're supposed to have anyone there according to the rules, but I did see a couple of our people sneaked into the live stream, the live live stream. Uh, they wanted to be there for the live live stream. So when we started live streaming last year, a couple of, I told everybody, now you can't come. And I said, you got to understand how hard this is for me. I said, I've spent three decades begging people to come to church. And now I'm telling you, do not come to church. And I said, you got to understand how hard that is, but please just stay home. We're trying to ride this out and not get in trouble. And uh, so They've been very cooperative. But about the third, fourth Sunday of our live stream, myself, one of my children, my daughter uh, that's not with us, I'll introduce family in a second, by the way, I haven't forgotten about them. And uh, we, we went over to do the live stream. We unlocked the church and started going in. It's about three or four of us on the team that were putting that together. And I pulled up and one of our ladies, another lady who was in the pictures tonight, she was sitting out there. I said, what are you doing here? She says, pastor, she lives just down the street from the church. She said, I have I have, I guess at that time, four grandkids at my house. They're all below the age of four. None of them are well-behaved. The house is like a shack. She said, I cannot get anything out of the service in that house with my grandkids. She said, I knew you were going to be here, so I just came. And I'm like, I am not going to turn her away. So I said, you can come in, but stay off the camera and don't tell anybody. Okay. And so she came in and I said, and don't sing loud either because uh, I don't just want you not seen. I don't really want you heard on the camera. Just sit down and just enjoy the service. So <laughs> she, uh, she came and she sat down. She enjoyed the service very much. So grateful to be there that day. She went home and we live, we live 15 minutes from the church. She lives two minutes from the church. So by the time I got home and I went to get online to check on some things and who, how many people had watched it and so forth, uh, our, face, our church's Facebook group already had a message from her to the whole church. I went to church today. It was so good. You guys should go. And so uh, that kind of started. That's kind of where it went from there. It was everybody every week. Oh, I want to go this week, Pastor. I'm going to go. So anyway, just, just today, this a little while ago, I saw a picture of someone that wasn't supposed to be there was there. But anyway, I, I love that heart that they want to be there. And if they can sneak through, they're going to sneak through. And, uh, but pray that we can get back open again soon. They, they, are, manda they, are, they are mandating vaccinations in Cambodia uh, for all people, all, well, down to young teens. So children are not getting it, but teenagers, adults, foreigners, everybody, if you want to live there, you have to have it. And so that's what they're doing. And I'm just hoping that it, it, once they hit, uh, I don't know what you call it, critical mass or whatever, when they hit enough people, a higher percent, high enough percentage that they'll begin to open up. I'm hearing some rumors that there may be some, some glimmer of hope in the future, but boy, it has just been a long slog as, as many of you here know as well. So pray that they can get that going. But, but more importantly than that, pray that God continues to undergird our people while it's not uh, able to meet in person yet. And, uh, you know, we just, I, I believe our, our core group of people has remained very faithful, but what has completely, not completely, but almost totally closed down is the ability to really reach out to new people, to get out in the neighborhoods and in homes and go out passing out tracks and all those things. So we have looked for creative ways uh, to supplement and to do other things, but there's nothing that takes the place of getting out there 
face-to-face, uh, -face, dealing with people, being in their homes. And so we need to get back to that. And we would ask you to really, really pray for that. All right. Now, before I do forget, let me introduce my family. Uh, since they don't like standing up, but it's kind of a big church. So I'm going to go ahead and have them stand up. You guys go ahead, stand up. And uh, this is my wife, Angela. Many of you already know her. We're just about to be married 25 years this coming spring. Thank God for her. And uh, many of you know that she was reached through a bus ministry when she was a teenager. And uh, I always tell that, especially in churches that have bus ministries, wants you to know that you leave a flyer on a door where nobody's home. That could change somebody's life. It really could. And it did in her life. Praise God for that. Our, uh, I'll, I'll do these three first and then let them sit down. So Stephen in the dark shirt here, he's 15. And Gabby sitting by mom is 13. And Seth in the green shirt, he is 12. Thanks, y'all can sit down now. And uh, we praise God for them. And then our older three girls, the three that were standing on the burgundy carpet a number of years ago singing, they're all grown and, and, um, and out of the home. So our oldest, Candace, just graduated uh, out in California from Bible college. She's now working at a church, uh, at a school actually, teaching music out on the East Coast in Maryland. And our second daughter is just starting up her senior year. She's a missions major and seriously dating a young man who's a pastoral major, but looking to go to the mission field. So maybe in a few years, you'll be getting a call pastor from them and you won't have any clue who they are, but I'm sure I'll send an introduction letter along with their letter and then you'll know who they are. And uh, our third daughter, Emma, is getting ready to start college here just uh, probably in January. So we have just appreciate your love for our family and, and just uh, wanted to give you that update, let you know how everyone is doing. Now, we do have a brand new prayer card. It's the same picture that was in your bulletin today. And uh, I have a big stack of those, plenty for everybody. And so if you would like to have one of those, we don't have a display table, so we don't have any place like that to set them. But I think there's a place in the foyer, right? We could set them out there. So we'll set a couple of different stacks around and, and you all feel free or come by and see us and ask us for one if you don't find where they're setting out there. We have plenty and one I make sure that everybody has the opportunity to have one of those and to pray for us. All right. Well, let's have our Bibles open, if you will. Uh, I, I want to start uh, this evening in the book of Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. I, uh, I want to tell a, a brief story before I read, but I, I'm going to go ahead and read it so that y'all can be seated. We'll read it and pray, and then I'll go back. I'm just going to read one, one verse. We're going to go back and get more of it in a, mo in a moment. Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 29. And the Bible says, and Everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. This is a serious verse. Uh, what I want to talk about tonight is a deadly serious topic. It's not child's play. It's not for the faint of heart. And yet I believe that you will see in the word of God before we're done that there really is no question as to whether or not this should be the heart of every single child of God. And I believe that we can show you that from the word of God tonight. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord, thank you 
so much for this service. Lord, my heart is so full, so stirred by the music tonight. It's been great. Lord, uh, not just the special music, that's been wonderful. But the, the, the corporate scene, Lord, that we all can lift our voices and sing praises unto you, who alone, as we'll see in the scriptures tonight, is worthy of our praise and our worship and our adoration and our lives, our all. We thank you, Lord, for saving us. Without you, we would be nothing, have nothing. And yet, Lord, you have done all for us. And as the song says, great is thy faithfulness. Lord, you've been so good to us. We're thankful for that. Thank you, Lord, for this great crowd that's assembled together tonight. Lord, as I said earlier, I love this church. This church always encourages me and our family. And I thank you for that. Now, Lord, may I return the favor to them and be used of God to encourage them and to challenge them with the things of God. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So I want to tell a brief story before I get back to this verse, just to kind of set it up. Several years ago, we had to move our house that we had rented, the house and the church, one building, 15 years. One day the landlord said, oh, by the way, we're selling the house. And uh, I thought maybe he was just starting to look for a seller or something. And I said, oh, OK, so uh, just starting. He's done. Actually, we sold the house. And uh, so we had two months. He said, you need to find a new place for your church, find a new place for your house. You'll have to get out. And so we thank God it was just a great place. And we thank God for the years that we were there. That's really where we raised all of our children uh, uh, through their very young years and it has a lot of memories for us. So we just thank God for the time that we had it. But we had to move. So we started to move. We began to look. We looked at a lot of different places and we finally found a place that we liked and that we thought that'll work for the house. And we began to deal with the landlord. And of course, 97 percent of the country of Cambodia uh, of Cambodia is Buddhist. And uh you know, there's a lot of superstition in the Buddhist religion. There's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, worship of angels and demons. And, and there's a lot of demon possession and, and all of these kinds of things. In fact, just to show you kind of the situation we were dealing with, I was up on the balcony of the second, uh, I think the second floor or the top of the house uh, looking at it. And I noticed that on the railing on the balcony, there was a large mirror you know those circle mirrors that are concave that they use for like blind corners to see around the corner? It was one of those, but it was done up in a way I've never really seen a mirror. You know, I expect most mirrors to be facing us so we can use them. Not that I want to use one of those mirrors. They make you look fat, right? But anyway, uh, it, was, it was strapped uh, or wired to the front of the rail. Now we're at least two, maybe on two floors, maybe on the roof. I don't remember. I think on the roof. And it's facing out. It's facing the street. And I asked him, I said, so what's this mirror for? It seems like it's kind of facing the wrong direction. And uh, he said, oh, no, that mirror is there for a very important reason. He said, when demons come to our house. Now, you're some of you are going to want to laugh right now. I assure you, I am not joking. This is real. He was not joking. Um, when demons come to our house and they try to get in, they will see themselves in the mirror. And he said, demons are very ugly. And so when they see themselves in the mirror, they will scare themselves off. And I just said, oh, okay. And then I said, well, up and down the street, I don't see any of the other houses with them. And he said, no, no. He said, they don't need them. 
And I thought, oh, great. They don't need them. I'm looking about renting this house. What in the world is going on in this house? He said, well, they don't need them. And I said, well, why is that? He said, well, uh, he said, I just put this one up not long ago. And he said, I didn't have one and I didn't need one. But I put one up because, and he pointed directly across the street. He said, the guy across the street has one. And uh, he said, when he put one, I had to put one. Because without him having it, he kind of a nominal amount of demons. But when he put his, all the demons that try to go in his house are repelled by their ugly faces and sent back to my house. And so he said, I had to put this mirror on the front of my uh, uh, railing in order to catch the demons coming from his house and send them back that way. I mean, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling some of the things that people believe. So this is what we're dealing with. So, but we, believe it or not, we chose the house, uh, the mirror notwithstanding. And uh, for me, I thought, you know what? The mirror doesn't bother me in the least. I really don't care. The mirror's fine. But when we went to rent the house, he said, now, um, now downstairs, this is inside the house, right in the main living room. Every house has a, a cutout section. It's, it's about this wide, about this tall. And uh, it's an area, it's about this deep. And basically it's an area where they can set up a spirit altar or something in their house where they can put candles and they can put various icons and various, uh, uh, you know, little statues and, and all of these type of rice wine and things they offer and incense sticks and all of these kind of things. And so every house has it. And so this house had it. But normally it's just when you rent a house, it's just empty and you can like, like store your kitchen dishes down there or whatever. It's just a spot. And so he said, uh, he said, here's the thing. He said, we already decided to rent it. We agreed on a price and I already gave him a deposit. And we signed a contract and everything. Then when it was almost time to move in, he was doing a little bit of fix-it work around the house before we moved in, before we got the keys. And he said, oh, by the way, the, the altar has to stay. I said, well, that's not going to work. And he said, no, it has to stay to protect the house. He said, if the altar isn't there, the house is unprotected. And so he said, we have to leave the altar there. And I said, well, you can leave it there, but I'm not going to leave it there. So I said, you can leave it there. I've had people leave that kind of stuff before. And I said, I'll put it all in a cardboard box and I'll stick it in the attic. And when I quit renting, you can put it back wherever you want. And he said, uh, he said, no, no, that's not going to work. He said, it has to stay out, has to stay set up. I said, well, that's not going to work. He said, well, okay, over here, there's some cabinets. And he says, we can put it down here in the cabinet. And I said, you know what, if you want to put it, if you want me to put it in a box and put it in the cabinet, fine. But it can't stay out. It can't stay like an active altar like this. And he said, no, no, no. He said, if it goes in the cabinet, that's just so that you don't have it be seen, but it'll have to still be set up. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, that is not going to work. I said, I, I, I said, you know, I'm a Christian. I told you that the day we met, I told you that I'm a pastor and I'm a Christian and our church is right around the corner. I'm not going to have this altar in my house. And he said, well, that, it has to stay. Well, we've already signed a contract. Now I'm sitting here going, oh, great. He's a lawyer, by the way. And so I, I really didn't want to mess with this contract with him. Okay. But he, he tells me, well, no, no, it's got to stay. And we went back and forth and back and forth. Then he says, I said, look, I have people in my home who are Cambodians. And I said, I'm trying to teach them about my God, the true God, the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said, I can't have them in my home and seeing this stuff here right. that I'm trying to teach them is not true. Right. Right. And uh, he says, OK, I got it. I got it. 
Very creative. He says, I got it. He says, my wife is a seamstress. So you leave it in the little thing. And he said, my wife will make a curtain and uh, she'll attach a curtain in here and hang this curtain up to cover up the altar. And uh, I, I said, well, that's not going to work. But anyway, by this time, I think we're on the phone. This is three or four conversations. I, I finally just quit because I'm not getting anywhere with him. So I, I go home and I'm just thinking about it. It's really troubling me. It's really bothering me because I've got, uh, you know, a sizable uh, 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 a cash deposit with him. I've got a I've got a contract with him and he's a lawyer. Also, he wrote the contract and uh, I need a house. My wife really liked the house out of all the ones we looked at. She said, that's the one I want. My kids like the house. I liked it well enough. And I said, you know what, Lord, what what am I supposed to do? I didn't know what to do. I sent out a prayer letter. Maybe some of you saw it. This was four years ago or so. And I said, folks, I need your help. I need you all to pray because tomorrow I am scheduled to go take the keys for this house. But I and I told the story. Pray because I, I just need to know how to handle this. I mean, I knew the obvious answer is just to walk away from it. But in my heart, I was like, Lord, there's got to be a way that I don't have to walk away from this thing. And so I, I was bothered by it. I told my wife and the kids that night, I said, just be ready. We may not be getting the house. We're going to see how it goes. But we prayed extra. So the next morning I get up and I, I'm reading my Bible. Now you're wondering, what, when are we coming back to the verse? Well, I opened my Bible for my regular Bible reading. I didn't go looking for this verse. I didn't go looking for it at all. And, and that's what I want you to know, because God has a way of doing that. You know what I mean? It's like I didn't get out the concordance and like type in like, oh, I want a verse about losing a house. <laughs> That's not what happened. No, what happened was I just opened my Bible and God met my need from the word of God that morning. So I opened my Bible and I read the, the verse, the one that I just read. And, and all I had to read was the first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, six, seven words. And everyone that hath forsaken houses, I stopped right there and I said, that's the answer. That's the answer. It doesn't matter if we lose the house. And then that went along with, you want to guess what the rest of my Bible reading was that day? I read Proverbs 23, 23. Buy the truth and sell it not. And God smote me and said, you are even thinking about making this work with this guy? No, the truth is not for sale. You buy the truth, you sell it not. If any man gives up a house and God goes on to talk about how he is, uh, God is pleased with that. When a person will say, hey, uh, some things just aren't worth this. I I'm going to have to just give it up. And so God used that verse. And, and, and I say all that to simply say a couple things. Number one, uh, some things are not negotiable. We need to all Take a lesson from that. And number two, I want to say that prayer works. Amen. Um, because the next day I went and I said, OK, I know my answer. And I was still scared. Uh, I went to meet him and I was ready to walk in. And when he handed me the keys, I was going to say, no, I, actually, we're not going to be renting the house. So I walked in his house and he started to hand me. I had this whole speech prepared. And I started, he started to hand me the keys and I stopped and I said, before you give me the keys, we need to clear this thing up. He said, what thing? I said, about the altar. And he said, oh, that? He said, oh, you know what? We took that out yesterday. It's fine. We decided it's fine. I said, just like that? You decided it's fine? He said, well, you know, I, I told him, I said, listen, I, I said, I still have to tell you my speech. 
because I said, even though you caved, I still have a duty here. I said, you talked about a curtain. I said, my God sees everything. And I said, the true God sees all. And I said, a curtain might fool people, but it wouldn't fool God. And frankly, God is the one I care about offending way more than any other person. I said, our God is the true God and we love him and we serve him. And I said, we're not interested in doing anything that would bring dishonor to his name. And so I said last night, boy, I said, now listen to this. I told him, I said, last night I couldn't sleep because I didn't want to back out on this contract. Of course, I didn't want to lose the money and I didn't want to, you know, disappoint you guys and my family. They like the house. We want the house. But I said, I just couldn't sleep because I didn't know what to do about this. But I said, God finally just showed me, you, you got to just tell him you can't rent it. And he said, well, isn't that something that you couldn't sleep? Because he told me, he said, last night my, or this morning, my wife says, I couldn't sleep last night. And by the way, his wife was behind the whole thing from the very beginning. She was the one that said, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, protect the house. we got to leave the altar in there. And he was just like kind of, oh, well, you know, we have to leave the thing because his wife said. And so sure enough, she couldn't sleep last night. And she said, uh, I just couldn't sleep. And I just told my husband, she said, I just told him, I said, well, we shouldn't make this hard for them. Uh, it's not that big of a deal. Let's just take, excuse me. <clears throat> I said, let's just take the thing out. And so I said, well, that's awesome. I couldn't sleep. You couldn't sleep. I think I might have a little bit of an idea of what was going on there. Of course, I knew that we had a lot of people praying. And so I just want to say prayer works. If you prayed for that uh, need, boy, that was, a, it was an awesome thing to behold. And then also this shows us that God has everything under control. We don't need to worry about it. Now, a couple of months ago, a pastor asked me to preach on a specific topic. He said, I, I want you to preach to our church about why be a missionary? Why make sacrifices for Jesus? Why do you? Why did you? Why have you? Why do you think others should? What motivates you to leave everything behind and go to the foreign mission field? Well, when he asked me to talk about that, God led me back to this passage. And, and I'm just going to tell you right up front, it's not going to be a fancy message tonight. There's not hardly any points. I think there's two, but there's nothing alliterated. If you're in homiletics class, this isn't it, okay? Uh, I have some of those kind of messages. This is not where the Lord has led me tonight. So now we're in Matthew 19, same spot, but I want to go back to verse 27. I want to read 27 to 30. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? We're going to come back to that. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that ye, uh, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now we come to the verse that God used in my life at that moment. And every one that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. Now I want you to notice Peter's question in verse number 27. He says, Lord, behold. Now, if, if we could say in a little bit more modern language, look, Lord, that's really what that means. Behold means look. And, uh, you know, sometimes when people are a little frustrated with you, have you ever had anybody start off with that word look? Look. 
Maybe they're getting ready to, you know, drop the, drop the hammer on you about something or they're getting ready to tell you, hey, yeah, this, I'm just not pleased with this. Hey, look, look. And so Peter starts off that way and he says, uh, he says, behold or, or look. And he says, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? In other words, his question was, is this in the end going to be worth it for us? What do we get out of it? I mean, there's a lot, Lord, that you're asking us to forsake. There's a lot of sacrifice, Lord, that you're asking us to make. And I would say that many people throughout the centuries could probably co-sign Peter's question. And we could say, well, OK, what, what do I get out of this? What, what am I going to get out of this? And Jesus goes on to say that, Essentially, giving up things in this life gains some things in the next life. And I'm not actually going to preach about that tonight, but just to get through this text for a moment, I want to focus on verse 29 where it says, uh, forsaking houses, brethren, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, land. I mean, I'm thinking, wow, that is quite a list. And we may say to ourselves, what could possibly be worth forsaking all of that? And we may say, what is worthy of that level of commitment? And I'll be honest with you, not much in this life seems worthy or worth that. There's not much in this life, in this, wor in this life that, that we would say, oh, yeah, totally worth it to give up all of those things uh, for this. And so, but God promises in that verse that serving God is worth it. It is truly worth it. In fact, Paul, we won't turn there for sake of time, but Paul said in a, a passage that I'm sure many of you know, that he said, I am willing to spend and be spent. I want you to think about that for a moment. Spend. What is it to spend? To spend is to, we think of it in terms of money, but it means more than that. To spend means to part with some earthly good. So, yeah, you could spend money. Uh, you could also spend time. You could also spend energy. So Paul said, I, I'm willing to do all that. But the amazing thing about this is the next thing Paul said. He said, I'm not only willing to spend. He said, I'm willing to be spent. Now, I want you to think about those words for a moment. It's one thing to spend. By the way, it's especially one thing to spend from your abundance. Okay. If you have a lot. It's not super impressive to spend a little money. Right. It's not super impressive. Now, please understand my heart. I am not trying to denigrate anyone's offering of any kind. But uh, let's just leave offering out of it. We, I don't want to tread on thin, water, uh, thin ice here. Let, let's talk about charity. You ever hear one of these athletes or one of these movie stars that they say, well, they make 20 million per movie. And then all of a sudden they're in the news because they donated $10,000 to some charity. Has that, ever, has that ever struck any of you odd like it's striking me right now and many times? I mean, come on. I'm like, really? Well, isn't that something? Ten I mean, that's not even a drop in a bucket. You're not going to miss that. You have so much. And so it's one thing to spend. And it's really one thing to spend out of your abundance. But it is another thing entirely and altogether to be spent. You see, in one, in spending, you give something up. Uh, something up as the medium, the 
money, time, whatever. It's the legal tender, if you want to call it that. It's the medium. You're giving something up. But in the other, you are the medium. You are that legal tender. You are what is being spent. You are what is gone when the spending is over. And so it's, it's a step beyond. It's maybe several steps beyond commitment wise from just spending. And Paul said, I'm willing to spend, willing to part with some of my earthly goods. But he said, I'm also willing to be spent, which to me denotes kind of like being tired. Have you ever said that? Well, I'm really spent today. What does that mean? I'm tired. I'm worn out. Maybe used up. Maybe even mistreated from time to time. Listen, the work of God requires sacrifice. I mean, think about a couple of people with me, if you will. David, he went to build an altar and the person who owned the land where he went to build the altar wanted to donate everything. I've got oxen, I've got, I've got uh, wood, I've got all this stuff. And what did he say? You know it. He said, I will not offer a sacrifice to the Lord that costs me nothing. Because David understood that that which costs nothing is really not worth that much. I mean, I remember when I was a Christian school teacher and one Christmas, uh, 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 I, I actually took for a field trip, I took all the kids Christmas shopping. I know that sounds insane, but it was a small school and uh, I probably 30 kids, loaded them up on the bus and we went out to a bunch of different stores and, and uh, some of the teachers helped cord uh, oversee their money and all this kind of stuff. But I noticed uh, while I was out there that at one store they had this deal going on where if you, if you bought anything at that store, you got this beautiful, beautiful free ink pen. And it was in a box, you know, a nice little close and open box. And so uh, I didn't pay any more attention to that, but I did notice it. And then on Christmas, I got one of those from one of the kids. And it was just a free gift. If you bought something at their store, you got this pen. And I just remember thinking, oh, thank you. Thank you. That is so kind. That is so thoughtful of you. But inside my heart, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that free pen. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so the Bible says that I, David said, I, I'm not going to offer something to God that costs me nothing. Well, along those same lines, let's think about. Let's think about Abraham in one of the hardest stories to read in the whole Bible. God said to Abraham, take now thy son. But let me finish. Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac. Oh, oh but let me finish. Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest. And I'm not preaching on that tonight, but pulling out just that concept that it requires a sacrifice to be something that we give to the Lord. And by the way, a, a sacrifice is not just the leftovers. It's not just something that's easy to let go. Oh, yeah, I was cleaning out the garage. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm really sacrificing. Here's some stuff for the Salvation Army. That's not a sacrifice. A sacrifice is something. Think. Let me give you these three thoughts. A, a sacrifice is something that has value. And then it's something that you love. And then it's something that you're going to miss when it's gone. That's a, sac that's a sacrifice. Let me encourage you tonight. Don't try to serve God on the cheap. Oh, yeah, people do. I mean, I guess it's all of our human nature. You know, we, we live our lives trying to find the best deals. We live our lives trying to look for the best, you know, and I, I get, oh my goodness, I get tired of this stuff. You know, I had my, my wife and I were in Kohl's yesterday 
I bet you didn't think you were going to hear about Kohl's in the sermon tonight, did you? And I uh, hope nobody here works at Kohl's. My wife loves Kohl's. And uh, guess what they gave us at the end of our transaction? Another little gift certificate for five more dollars. And guess what? When I go in and spend that, they're going to give me another one because every time you spend a certain amount of money, they give you another little bit. Why? To keep you coming back. And it doesn't matter if you're buying French fries at McDonald's or if you're buying uh, uh, church clothes at Kohl's or if you're buy, uh, buying an airplane ticket to go across the country. Everybody's got an app and everybody's got a point system and everybody's got free stuff. And our human nature says, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find the best deal. I'm going to get the most that I can out of this for the least amount of money. Don't try to serve God on the cheap. Big mistake. Don't try to negotiate a deal with God. God is not Shark Tank. And let me ask you to think about this tonight. What might he ask you to sacrifice? To serve him. We got college students here tonight that are in the time of transition of your life where you're seeking God's leading, right? I'm sure not all of you college students know exactly where you're headed in the next couple of years. God knows. What might he ask you to sacrifice? We, we read a moment ago in Matthew chapter 19 that, that God is pleased with and commends and says you will not regret it if you'll learn that giving, uh, that putting God first and serving God and sacrificing to God requires sometimes forsaking some things. Giving some things up. What might God ask you to sacrifice? By the way, it's not just for the college kids. It's not just for kids. It's not just for adults. It's for all believers, men, women, boys and girls, teenagers, college, senior citizen. It doesn't matter. God desires for us to be all in in his service. And what might God ask you to sacrifice? Men and women have been making sacrifices for millennia to serve God. My family's been asked to give up a few things. And I don't say this for your glory, sure. for glory right. or for sympathy. I say it as a way of a personal illustration. That's it. Talk about houses. It, listen, everybody in Cambodia that I ever meet, they think that I own a house minimum or houses in America. I get asked that all the time. So, Pastor, how many houses do you have in America? I'm like, none. And I've had some people actually literally not church people, but people out in the community. This one lady at a hospital about a year or two ago, man, she got really angry with me. She said, I don't believe that. I said, well, you don't have to believe it, but it's true. I said, I don't own any houses. I said, I don't own a house. I don't own a car. I don't own anything. I live here. And she said, well, there's no way that you live in America and you don't own a house. So they don't get it. They think we do. But and some missionaries do. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's wonderful. If God makes that happen for you, I'm all for it. If uh, anyone wants to give me a house, I'll take it. That's fine. But uh, we don't own a house. But honestly, that's just something that we've given up. Honestly, I have never lost one hour of sleep over not owning a house. It's fine. I know that God called me to the mission field. We're likely never going to own a house. We're going to live on the mission field, I hope, for a long, long time. And so we don't have a house. That's fine. Siblings and parents like the Bible talks about brothers and sisters and mother and father. And, and you know, I'm thankful for what I have. I have moms and dads and, and brothers and sisters that are 
that love the Lord and know the Lord and serve the Lord. But yeah, we've given them up. We say goodbye to them. We go off. All missionaries. See, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. All missionaries. See, if you're going to be a missionary, you better ask yourself the hard questions. Am I willing to give some things up? Spouses. I know three missionaries. By the way, I, I say spouses because in the verse there it says a wife or uh, it doesn't say husband here, but I think that would apply because it's just going through all of the various relationships. But there are three missionaries that we know just in Cambodia alone who have lost spouses on the mission field. Three. One of them was a very dear friend of ours and the other two were, were friends of ours, not as close of friends, but nevertheless people we knew. God's been very gracious to us and he's never asked that sacrifice of us. Does that mean he won't? Of course not. But has he? Not yet. I thank God for that. But it goes on to say children and God has asked us to give up a child on the mission field. She was almost two. Many of you will remember that. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to gen up sympathy or, or anything. I'm just trying to say, don't try to go, well, how can I serve God but not have to sacrifice? How can I serve God and it'll be a great deal? It'll be cheap and I'm going to negotiate something with God. It's just not the way it works. And, and so I just want to ask why? 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 What is the point? What is worthy? What is worth that kind of sacrifice. And in fact, is anything worth that kind of sacrifice? And God tells us that, yes, indeed, there are two things. There may be more, but as I was looking at a couple of few weeks ago when this pastor asked me about this, this is what I came up with. Number one, our Savior is worthy. Turning your Bibles to, and by the way, before I leave Matthew 19, I want you to notice in verse 29, everyone that has forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands, look at the next four words, for my name's sake. It is all about Jesus and all for Jesus. Now turn to Revelation, if you will. Revelation chapter four. Revelation chapter four. Try to move along here. Make sure we get out in a decent time tonight. Revelation chapter four. Now, before I start reading in verse one, just a little bit of background for anyone that isn't familiar with this. Basically, in the book of Revelation, the apostle John, the last of the living, uh, the last apostle to live, he was exiled on the island of Patmos. He was a very elderly man and God did something very special for him. God literally took him and transported him supernaturally to heaven. And he allowed John to get a glimpse. Some of what he saw was future some of what he saw was uh, present, things going on at that very moment. And so that's one of the reasons why the book of Revelation is so difficult sometimes for us to understand. Sure. Because uh, I, I don't think it was all meant to be understood, not saying that God is trying to do something kind of weird or kind of play a trick on us. But, you know, if we understood everything about God, well, that would make him not very special. He's, he's God, we're not. And so I'm okay with not understanding all of it. But boy, there's some parts in the book of Revelation that'll just make your hair stand up on end. And this is one of them. Our Savior is worth any sacrifice that would be made. I want you to look in chapter, chapter four and verse number one. After this, I looked and beheld a door. And behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me. This is John which said, come up hither and I 
that's the Lord, will show thee, John, things which must be hereafter. All right, so everything we, we see here now, we're going to literally go up into the throne room of heaven and keep on reading in verse two. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one set on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald and Round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And by the way, if anybody here is going, oh, I hope he explains every bit of these verses because I don't understand that. Don't hold your breath. I'm not going to explain all these verses. I don't understand all these verses either. But you begin to get a sense of the glory and the majesty. And uh, I, I, I get the sense of uh, like a long, deep roll of thunder that you can feel under your feet. And you can feel it kind of moving up into your very bones. And, and, and when something like that happens, you just get this sense of, wow, something very big, something very awesome, something very majestic is happening right now. And when I read this passage, that's what I hear. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion and the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had a face as a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Do you know where we are right now in this passage? We are literally in the throne room, standing before the very throne of Almighty God. I'm not talking about a false God. I'm not talking about an idol. I'm not talking about a weak God or a dumb God or a deaf God. I'm talking about the Almighty living God, Jehovah God, that literally is the eternal God that has always been and always will be and literally spoke the word into existence. And we are standing in this passage by, by way of, of, of John's revelation, we are standing in the throne room and we are looking and we're going to see something really awesome here in the next couple of verses. Look at verse nine. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and 20 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, tell me the next three words out loud. Ready? One, two, three. Thou art worthy, O Lord to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Amen. I asked them a moment ago, boy, that list. Houses. You know, the houses isn't that big of a deal. It's just a house. But from houses, it gets pretty real pretty fast. Giving up houses. All right. Oh, and by the way, not just houses, but brother and sister, father, mother. I, I, I almost feel like that God made that list so dramatic True. on purpose True. to grab us by the shoulders and say, look in my eyes. Don't try to serve me cheap. Don't be cheap with me. Don't try to serve me on your terms. 
And then, looking in other passages in the Bible, like the one we just read, we find that indeed there is someone that's worth that. Now, we'll see in a moment that when they, when they began looking in chapter 5 for, for someone who was worthy to open the seals and found none, and there was all this weeping. Started, let's just look at that. Look at that in chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. Again, I'm not going to get into all the, the, the explanation of all this, but I want you to get the overview of the worthiness of God here. And uh, verse 2, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And, and may I say to you tonight that I, I feel like that's kind of like the cry of many people. Yes. Who, what, what contains worth for my life? Wow. Where is worthiness to be found? That's good. So many people are living for so many empty things. So many people are spending and being spent, like Paul, just not on God. That's true. I mean, we spend and we spend and we spend and we are spent and we are spent and we are spent and we're exhausted and we're used up and we spend and we're spent and we spend and we're spent. And it's never about God. It's about our own desires and our own flesh and our own uh, 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 the things that we want. You can almost hear the world crying out, is there anything more worthy than this or this? Well, let's see. Let's look in verse number three and, and we'll see. The Bible says in verse three, no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereupon, uh, thereon. And verse four is a very sobering verse. And I wept much. Why? Because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Listen, let me tell you, if you're here tonight and you are seeking worth or you're seeking for something of this world to fill the void in your heart and make you feel like you're living a worthy, worthwhile life. And you say, oh, man, this is worthy of all my love. Oh, man, this uh, this hobby is worth uh, this house, this this land, this relationship, this sport, this whatever, this uh, this celebrity. Th this is worthy of all my everything. Oh, boy, you're going to weep much. You're going to weep much. Because that's not going to ever be found to be worthy. But let's keep reading verse 5. One of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns, you know, that's our Savior. That's our Savior. I know you know that, but I just got to stop and say in case one person in this room doesn't know it. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our blessed Savior. That's point number one in my message. Is anybody worthy? Yes, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is indeed worthy. The Bible says there's a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth in all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. Now, don't get don't 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 get a, a throne by that. You say, oh, wait, 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 there's two gods. Uh, there's there's a God on the throne and you said he was worthy and they said thou art worthy. And now there's this lamb and we're getting ready to say that this lamb is worthy. Folks, that's not a hard one to explain. All it simply means is that God the Father and God the Son are one. Amen. 
and they are worthy. He is worthy. When he had taken the book, verse 8, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, read it with me, one, two, three. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne. I mean, I, I'd like to stop when I was preparing for this message. I'm like, well, that's too much. We can't read too much. Then I read the next verse. I'm like, oh, gotta have that one. And then I read the next verse. Oh, wow, I gotta have that one because look what's coming up in verse number 11. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and of the beasts and the elders and the number of them, watch it, the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. And you know what they're getting ready to do? They're, they're gonna be saying and singing and praising God. 10,000 times 10,000, 100 million. Now, I liked your choir tonight. I really did. But you know where I'm going? 100 million people. I mean, can you, can you even imagine? I can't imagine it, but I get excited trying 100 million strong. Saying with a loud voice, worthy. That's the word we're talking about. Worthy. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. I just try to imagine sometimes a hundred million people singing, oh, worship the king. A hundred million voices lifting all together in one accord, singing holy, 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 or crown him with many crowns, or all hail the power of Jesus' name, or how great is thy faithfulness, or how great thou art. Boy, I'm telling you. If you wonder if anyone's worthy, it is the Lord. Now, why is he worthy? Well, there's two reasons listed here. One in 4.11, he's worthy because he created everything. The Bible says, thou hast created all things. Right after it says, thou art worthy. You're worthy. You created all things. Listen, there are so many, and, and, and truthfully, all humans are, are pipsqueaks. Sorry if that offends anybody, but... There's too many little pipsqueak humans running around trying to act like they're something and God, and God has just got to be like, God is God. God created all things. Think about the eternality of God. Think about that. When we, when we, when we think that we're something and we've been around for, you know, well, I'm 30 years old. 30, congratulations. 40, big deal. And I don't want to be mean to the elderly folks. I have great respect for elderly people. But honestly, 100? Come on. And you know, before any of us were ever even thought of, God already was here. Before America existed, God was here. Before the ancient civilizations of the world were here, God was here. And before, hey, and people say, oh, the world is five, what, you know, whatever 
whatever number they just pull out of thin air that day, 5 billion, 6 billion, 300 million, 475, whatever. Ridiculous, but okay, fine. You want it to be that old? Fine. God was here before that. He's worthy. We're not dealing with the rest of the world's gods. We're dealing with our God that is the true and living God, the creator of all things. Eternally God, eternally existent. Think of his bigness, his omnipotence. Boy, we could spend time on that, but we got to move on. Not only did he create all things, he was, he was slain for our sins. Now, if you just had point one or just had point two, you'd have enough to rejoice with. But when you take point one and point two and you put them together. And I'm going to say no to God about something. I'm going to say, no, God, you can't have that. I'm going to try to strike a deal with God. He created all things. He has been around forever. There was never a time that God did not exist. He has created things that the world, after several thousand years of, exist, of, of humanity, is still discovering more and more things farther and further out there from the world that they find finally, oh, we made a new telescope. We can see even farther. Oh, now it's 100,000 light years away. Oh, there's 79 million more galaxies out there. Yeah, that kind of stuff just continues to show us how big is our God and how small you and I are and what in the world would ever possess God to have that kind of love to condescend down to humans, down to little old me and little old you and, and reach down from heaven and make a way for you and I to have our sins forgiven. We read it already. I don't need to go back, but it's in chapter five, verse nine, if you're taking notes, where it, said, where it tells why he's worthy. Why he's worthy. He's worthy because he created all things, 4.11 and 5.9. He's worthy because he was slain for our sin and he redeemed us unto God. Think about his holiness and his perfectness and his sinlessness and his beauty and his loveliness and everything only good about him. And then think about that mercy that he has when he looks at us. I don't get it. I just be honest with you. I don't get it. Why? What is man, as David says in Psalms, that thou art mindful of him? God is worthy. Think of his love, his mercy, his grace, his condescension to sinners. Think of after you got saved, the kindness that he shows you every day. Think of his care for you, his all sufficiency. I mean, we could go on. We could literally go on all night. Our Savior is worthy. But there's another thing that's worthy, and this requires a little bit of explanation, but it'll just be quick. Number two, the souls of men. Look in Mark. Remember, God laid all of these things on me, my heart after a pastor asked me to think about why. Why are you a missionary? Why would you make sacrifices? Well, the obvious answer is, and if it was the only answer, it's enough. Jesus is worthy. He is all. He has done all for me. Without him, 
I would have no hope of any kind of salvation in any way, shape or form. It's that simple. But number two, the souls of men in Mark chapter eight, verse 34. When he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto him, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. It's interesting to me, and I'm not going to get into this, but it is interesting to me that this verse that I'm looking for comes in this context where here it talks about the word deny. And in the other one, it talks about the word forsake. And here we go again. But if any man deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whosoever will save his life shall lose it but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels the same shall save it now look at verse 36 for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul or what shall it profit him uh, excuse me or lose his own soul or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul i'm not going to read the rest of the chapter for sake of time now word of explanation quickly Man is not worthy. True. Okay. God is worthy. True. Jesus Christ is worthy. You are not worthy. I am not worthy. Amen. I have all the respect for your pastor in the world, but he is not worthy and he would be the first to tell you that. And so when I say the souls of man, I want you to listen very carefully. This is not saying, oh yeah, well, good people out there, boy, they deserve this. No, no, no. Actually, what mankind deserves is hell. But because God created man in God's image, and because God made man a living soul, every human, every single one has value. As in, they are full of worth. And for that reason, I say, worthy. Amen. Amen. That's good. I'll put a finer point on this in just a second. Many in our world seem to have little value to other, to, to fellow man. Right. Especially come to a country like ours. I don't have time to get into a lot. Poor, handicapped, blind, deaf, diseased, elderly. Hey, in our wonderful country, the unborn right. have very little value to many, many people. In fact, to many people, they have zero value. It's wicked. God says every human was created in God's image. So we get around to this missions idea. By the way, you might be thinking, well, you're a missionary. Why aren't we talking about missions tonight? Oh, but we are. Because if you consider our Lord on the throne and his worthiness, that is what missions is all about. We, we didn't focus on it, but in that verse where they're all singing praise, the Bible says that you've redeemed, that he has redeemed us unto God out of every tribe and language and kindred and, and tongue. That's missions. But we have to understand that most of the world does not know God. They are worthy. They are worth something to God. They are valuable. They have inherent worth within themselves. And I love that you're taking time this week for 1040 window prayer meeting. That's wonderful. North Africa, Middle East, India, China, Asia. I mean, we can stay here all night again talking, not just about the attributes of God, but we can stay here all night talking about the needs around the world. We talk about, we stay here all night talking about the stats and how many missionaries are there and how many aren't there and how many we need in these various countries and all the great, great needs around the world. Are they worthy? Well, of heaven? No, frankly, they're not. 
but are they worthy of the gospel? Yes. And there's the difference. You know the song probably, unworthy am I of the grace that he gave, unworthy to hold to his hand. Amazed that a king would reach down to a slave, this love I cannot understand. Unworthy, unworthy, a beggar in bondage and alone. But listen to the next line. But he made me worthy. That's missions. They are not worthy and neither were you. But if you know the Lord and you are in Christ, you are worthy now. Not because of you, but because of him. He is worthy and he loves you. And when you got saved, he made you worthy. The song goes on to say, but he made me worthy. And now by his grace, his mercy has made me his own. Now, I don't know who's in the auditorium tonight and what's going on in your heart. But if there's someone that God's dealing with about the mission field, can I tell you this? I don't know what God may ask of you. There may be some people here that have a wonderful job and a beautiful house and you go, I, 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 I don't know if I could give that up. Well, that might be what he asks you. God may ask some of you to give up a loved one in death. God may ask some of you, some of you college students, God may ask you to give up a relationship of a, of a boyfriend or a girlfriend because they're not going that direction, but you know God wants you to go that direction and they have, they'll have none, none of it. What is God asking you to give up? I just want to encourage you with this tonight. It is worth it for two reasons. Number one, Jesus is worthy. There is nothing, nothing that you could give to God that he's not worth. And not only that, the souls of man, what shall a man profit if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And all around the world, people are dying and going to hell for lack of someone to bring them the news of the gospel that Jesus will take an unworthy person and make them worthy by his grace. I mean, if there's anything greater than that in the world, I have no idea what it would be. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be in church tonight. I pray, Lord, that you'll use this message to challenge our hearts. Lord, you've challenged mine. Sometimes we complain. Sometimes we get exhausted and tired. And we need to lift our eyes and look at Jesus and look at the harvest. That our lives may have a confident aura about us that we are living our life for a worthy cause. Lord, don't let us be like Peter. What are we going to get? What are we going to get? What we're going to get is the knowledge that we are living for a worthy Savior. And we're living for unsaved people around the world to have a chance to know Jesus Christ like we know him. Lord, use this message to challenge our hearts.